0: Let's pray. Lord, help us, great God, wonderful God, to hear your voice to us this evening as we are gathered in the name of Jesus. Please, Lord, look not on our deficiencies and our sins, but look upon the greatness of the grace and sacrifice and worth of Jesus Christ, and that we are, by your grace, his people. Do amongst us what he deserves. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please turn to Luke chapter 16 and we're going to look at uh, one of the tough things that Jesus said, where he said, You cannot serve God and money. It's Luke 16, verse 13. so i think this is a difficult thing that jesus said uh we uh, we live in a an affluent society a society where people have money we may not think so but if you've ever been to the developing world where people have one shirt that's it uh where people don't where uh, the chaps don't have a uh, a decent pair of trousers don't have shoes um, and the idea of having a car or a, a house with more than one room would be absolute luxury I mean we in that sense we we we're, we're like kings and princes uh, mind you uh, there's extremes in our society so if any of you as a professional footballer you probably earn loads and loads of money Uh, or if you were a banker or you work in the city probably got more money than one might like to shake a stick at but whatever situation we are in in life or however we feel ourselves to be financially Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money and I think that's a tough saying and when I was thinking about what to speak on, I thought, I don't really want to speak on this. But I, I thought, well, that's probably a good reason for, for speaking on it, actually. So I'm let me do justice. I'm taking my thoughts from a book which I've got out and put down somewhere. Where is it? That's underneath there, thank you. Okay, I recommend this book to you. Uh, I wish Jesus hadn't said that, but I'm really glad he did by Steve Timmis. It takes a number of difficult things that Jesus says and works them through. Uh, And uh, so I recommend that to you. IVP. I was sent it as a review copy, so I don't know how much it cost. In the original, and you may remember this from the authorized version, it uses the word mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I don't use the word mammon very often. In the Bible, it's used about half a dozen times, and it's Jesus each time who says it. It comes from uh, an Aramaic word, so Aramaic would have been the language most probably that Jesus spoke, and it's a, a comma. Mn. I've no idea how to pronounce that. But it looks a little bit like Amen. Now whether this is just me making it up, I don't know. But uh, the, the front bit is usually an A. Is it the same in Amharic? Do you have a letter where it? it's just A? Amen means let it be. I'm trusting that. I'm agreeing with that. And apparently the root word for Mammon The Aramaic is to do with what you trust in, what you think is certain and secure and definite and you can build your life on it. And Jesus says you can't serve God and this stuff, uh, this money stuff that people think that they can build their lives on. So what what I suggest we do is just look through this as best we can, try and understand as best we can the implications of it. So we'll, uh, we'll look at the context, we'll look at what Jesus is not saying, and what he is saying, and we'll look at some of the practicalities, and at that point I'll open it up for discussion and see what people think, uh, the way the practicalities work out. Is that, is that all right with everybody? That's what I'm proposing to do. So let's look at the context, because I think it, is, it was worth Roger reading out that whole chapter. Because I think the target that he has in mind is the Pharisees. So these are the religious leaders in the days of Jesus. And we tend to think of their main feature being that they were very much rule-making people. But that's not the only thing that the New Testament has to say about them. So you noticed in chapter 16, verse 14, it says, The Pharisees who... Can you see it? 1614. they loved money. Oh, I found that quite interesting. So not only are they people with a sort of rule base for their morality, but they managed to fit into that, that they really love money. You know, they wear sharp suits, and uh, they like nice cars, and they appreciate fine food, uh, and I found, they sort of I suppose in our terms, you might say they're very middle class you might put it in that way but certainly they loved money and looking at the context then 16 verse 1 Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells this story about the shrewd manager but clearly 1614 the Pharisees are listening and they are the ones who loved money and they didn't like the story that Jesus told. 1619, no, yeah, 1619 is another story about money. There's a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen and lives in luxury, and there is also a beggar named Lazarus, so you get these two extremes, and then in the world to come, uh, the, the extremes are swapped over, and the beggar is comforted and the man who had all the riches is in agony. That's quite an unpleasant story, really, but uh, Jesus is teaching this, so it's all to do with money, isn't it? And you might, at first glance, wonder whether he is teaching salvation by works. Uh, You know, you can earn your way into money, uh, you can earn your way into heaven by giving away your money. I don't think he's teaching that, but he is saying that there is a strong connection in terms of our attitudes to money here and our eternal destiny. I think he's saying that as a strong connection. Strong connection in the way that we handle money now and how that will pan out in terms of eternity. So one thing in, in the context is the Pharisees and money. Another thing in the context is the role of the law and the prophets. So, uh, chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus goes from money to the law and the prophets. And he says that uh, they prophesied until John, uh, and now the good news of the kingdom is being preached and uh, Jesus says everyone is forcing his way into it, so I'm not quite sure how that, exactly what he means by that, but we notice that that second story ends up with the man in agony saying, please go back and tell my family, please send, send someone back from the dead to tell my family, and Abraham in verse 29 says, well they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them and the chap says no that's not good enough they need somebody sent back from the dead and this in verse 31 if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead so interestingly uh, Jesus is connecting up attitudes from the Hebrew scriptures the law and the prophets and saying well if you're open to that then you'll be open to the kingdom and if you're not open to the law and the prophets then you're not likely to be open to the kingdom things either so there's something about that in the context and also in the context interestingly pops in verse 18 uh, which is divorce anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery and a man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery And I think these all fit together. It's all to do with the Pharisaic attitude. They didn't really believe their own scriptures, and that's why they didn't believe Jesus. They have a terrible attitude to women, they feel that they can divorce their wives left, right, and center, you know, the, the, they would. They had debates as to whether, you know, if your wife burned the cooking, whether that was sufficient grounds for divorce, and some of them said, well, not quite, and others said, well, yes, it is, and so their attitude to divorce, Jesus is criticizing, and along with that, their attitude to money. So that's the, the context of it. It's quite an interesting context, isn't it? That uh, that's the background against which he's, saying this so uh, he says in this context you cannot serve both God and money you Pharisees he's saying this in particular you say you're God's people you've got your Old Testament and you say oh, we're standing firm on it but you don't really believe it and look at your attitude to, uh, to women it's a terrible attitude and look at your attitude to money all fits together it's not right it's deeply wrong you cannot serve God and money well let's have a little think about what Jesus is not saying so I've got some suggestions here I don't think he's saying you can't have money certainly those aren't the words that he uses he doesn't say you cannot have both God and money, he says you cannot serve both God and money so let's let's us off the hook a little bit because I think most of us have money and he's not saying it's a sin to have money and I don't think he's saying it's a sin to earn money in other words he's not saying that the right spiritual way is to be impoverished and to go around um, begging or not working and just trusting somehow that God will send you money that you need he's saying "No, that's not, not the point it's not the way Jesus himself earned a living didn't he as a carpenter's son we presume he did and his disciples were fishermen and i know that he said leave your nets and and i will make you fishers of men but when later on they went back to fishing he didn't say well this is sinful for you to be earning your living and the whole of the bible seems to say that it's it's a right thing to earn your living in a in a responsible way uh, we don't make an idol out of our work but it's uh, it's god's way for Uh, a labourer to earn his wages and it's not Jesus isn't commanding us to be homeless and uh, to um, wander around as if we're not part of ordinary human society in 1 Corinthians 11.22 when he's discussing the abuses of the Lord's Supper he says don't you have your own houses to eat and drink in so Jesus isn't saying you've got to be poverty not possess anything uh, that's not what he's saying and I don't think he's saying you should not enjoy things in life do you turn to 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 5 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 5 which says says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So Paul in the bit I read was an apostle of Jesus Christ and therefore we don't believe there's a contradiction between the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Paul is saying "No, the Bible doesn't forbid ordinary human life like uh, marrying if that's the calling God's given you and being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not allowed to enjoy food. That's the devil who says that and Being a Christian doesn't mean you can't enjoy watching cricket or football or reading a good book or enjoying a lovely sunset or whatever it is you might enjoy because it says everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And I've got another reference, Psalm 128. So that's pretty much in the middle of the Bible. You'll find the Psalms and if you just go forwards or backwards until you get to 128 there's a rather lovely psalm here it's sort of typical of the old testament ideals but i would like to say it's not contradicted by the new testament the new testament goes further than this but it's not contradicted by it psalm 128 blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity, or blessings and good, will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots round your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity, or the good, of Jerusalem, May you live to see your children's children. A a rather beautiful little picture of Psalm 128. A rather beautiful little picture of of what it is to be blessed. And you can see that it's to do with honest work. Verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Uh, It's to do with the richness of family life your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house your sons will be like olive shoots round your table so it's to do with family life and it's to do with having a table which is a piece of furniture as I'm sure you're well aware and uh, he says uh, this, is, this, is the, this, is, this is the blessing of life life doesn't get any better than this life on this earth doesn't get any better than this to have uh, your loved ones with you, uh, perhaps to have family, to be able to sit round a table, presumably with a roof over your head, and that's that's blessing, maybe even to see your grandchildren. It doesn't get any better than that. And uh, I know that God doesn't bless everybody in that particular way, but here is a picture that is in the Bible of what is good, and I would venture to suggest that even if you were a multi-millionaire it still doesn't get any better than to have your family with you and perhaps to see your grandchildren and to have a table and to sit around it and eat some food together so I think the Bible is very pro-ordinary human life in that sense and Jesus isn't saying you're not allowed to have that uh, let me try and put that Carefully, not everybody is called in exactly the same way. Some people are called to singleness, but nevertheless, here is the sort of blessing that Jesus is not forbidding us. He's not saying you should not enjoy things like this in life. Let's go back to Luke 16. So, what is he saying? Well, he is saying you cannot serve both God and money. I know that because that's an exact quote from the verse. He is saying that. But I would like to pick out the the word serve because it's the word for uh, being a slave, being a servant, or particularly being a slave. You can't be the slave of both God and mammon. A slave is somebody who the master says do this and he does it. A slave is somebody the master says come here and he comes or go and he goes. And you can't have God telling you to come and go and so on and at the same time mammon, money telling you to do this and don't do that and come here and so on. You can't have both. There, is, there, there will bound to be a time when God says, I do something. Where God says, do this, and Mammon says, no, I don't give you permission to do that. Well, who are you going to serve? Or well, God says, come, and Mammon says, no. Well, who are you going to obey? Or well, God says, go, and Mammon says, no, you stay here. Who are you going to obey? So you you might, for example, have the opportunity to serve for no money. And God says, that's a good thing to do, but mammon says, well, where's the profit in that? Well, who are you going to obey? Uh, A friend of mine is uh, an airline pilot, and because he's an airline pilot, he earns enough money to work, I don't know, for half the week, half the normal working week, he can survive on that and he has the rest of the time for serving in the church he's made that a deliberate policy decision I don't think he had Mammon's permission to do that but God says yes that's that's a good thing to do we uh, or Mammon says cutting corners to make a profit is a great idea, God says no it isn't so the idea when you go on the train of pretending you're a child so that you can get half fare, I find that doesn't work as well for me as it used to Uh, but it wasn't that number of years ago actually that Maria was uh, charged half fare to go into Osborne house and she was indignant actually Uh, but it's Mammon says that's cool but God says no it isn't you can't serve God and Mammon and mammon will give instructions for planning out your life by such and such an age you can be working so many hours and getting so many thousands of pounds Uh, and God says well that's not my plan you can't serve God and mammon Uh, Steve Timmis so I'll quote him so that you know that it's his fault and not mine he says who do you serve Do you feel uneasy, awkward or irritated about being told that your money or your house or your car isn't yours? Did you say quietly to yourself, there's no way I'm going to stop spending £10 a day on cigarettes? Or no way I'm going to stop saving £200 a month for my kids' education? Or no way I'm going to let people invade my home? Or there's no way I'm going to settle for a cheap, less prestigious phone? well says uh, Steve Timmis the answers reveal who has your future and what has your heart and who you're serving so he does say you cannot serve God and money second thing I think he's saying is you can't base your trust in money so I'm thinking of mammon as being the thing you trust in you can't base your trust in money this is a little bit more subtle and I think the the world around us would like to squeeze us into this mold of putting our trust in money so if you're progressing at all in your career you'll be thinking about your pension or you may be actually uh, drawing your pension the whole thing about making sure we're secure in older age it it's not that far away from what we are encouraged to put our whole trust in and base our whole lives upon. That comment was sponsored by Viking River Cruises. Did you notice that when the banks were co- uh, nearly collapsed uh, over the euro, how indignant people were. Banks are there to be rock solid. They're our protectors. Investments are our great certainties in life. They're the rock on which we build. How dare they uh, even suggest that we won't get our money if we've put uh, our, our money in such and such a bank. That is totally unacceptable you see the whole thing is idolizing a financial system isn't it, this is like God, we put our trust in money and Jesus is saying well even though the world around you is doing that and even though in a sense our society depends on it, uh, yet don't make it an absolute in your life, don't get taken in by that you can't base your trust in money, you can't both trust in money and in God it's one or the other, Is the one that you're trusting in, third thing you're not to love money it's a famous verse often misquoted in the Bible, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, look at the Pharisees if you would uh, in verse 14, it says these guys, what does it say, they loved money uh, the word is philarguros, philarguros, which means lover of silver. I think they loved it. Nothing gave them more pleasure than to go through their bank statements. Nothing gave them more pleasure than to check each week on the stock exchange and see how their stocks and shares were doing. It was the bright spot in their weeks because they loved money. And notice the story, the second story in verse 19. Look at what he says about the, the person whom he's critiquing. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I did look up the word for luxury, lampros. Lampros, which means it's something like bright or shining and we would say glittering wouldn't we the glitterati uh, the people uh, who glitter as they uh, make their way down the red carpet for the Oscars or whatever it is Uh, and he's saying that is the love of money and you mustn't love money don't let it be said of you that you're characterised by the fineness of your clothes and the luxury in which you live we must not love money use it, yes love it, no and I'm thinking about the use it because that's the, that's the idea of the story in the first part of chapter 16 isn't it the guy has uh, shrewdness in the way he uses money. Uh, I could imagine when Jesus was telling that story about the uh, about the cheating steward. I bet the people who laugh, uh, people who are listening, had a laugh at he, as he was saying it. Um, you know that the, the man who uh, this steward who says, "I've been given the sack. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg." And you could imagine the people, (laughs) I know somebody like that, you know, they're just thinking this. And the debtors are called in and the the cheating steward says, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil? Tell you what, we'll write it down, um, cross out the eight, make it 400, okay. And he's systematically cheating his master and using money in a certain way for a certain end result and the end result being that he's got friends who will welcome him when he's been given the sack Uh, Jesus isn't commending cheating but he's saying this stuff can be used for certain results and he's saying that the people of light are not to love money but shrewdly almost as shrewd as that cheating steward to think here's a good way here's a good way to use that money not to cheat anybody but to have a long-term beneficial effect and we will come to that in a moment we're not to love money but to use it fourth thing i think jesus is saying is he's saying here's a surprise the money we have is actually not ours, but entrusted to us. Looking at 1612, where Jesus is commenting on the story that he told. He says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth, use unjust mammon to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, in handling um, unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? He's saying that this wealth that we have, this money that we have, these pounds and euros and dollars, actually aren't ours. Seems a bit of a surprise, I thought it was ours. But Jesus, no, really, to understand it properly, it's something you've been entrusted with, like a steward, and you were to use it knowing that it's not actually yours it's a bit of a surprise that and the fifth thing I think he's saying is that we need to invest with true shrewdness and that I think is the point of the of the first story what's a shrewd way shrewd meaning wise meaning clever meaning sort of inventive what's a shrewd way of using money in this world given the context that there's a world to come given the context that we've been given this short term as a loan to look after it's not actually ours in an absolute sense and given that there is another world coming when lots of things will be reversed and things that we thought were really valuable will turn out to be a very limited value and things that we might have thought were a very limited value are actually extremely valuable. Given that that's the situation, how should we shrewdly invest? Well, I'll sort of leave that as a question for discussion. And my fourth heading is practicalities. So I don't know what you think about this. I mean, what, how then should we? What should we do with money. Jesus doesn't say make sure you've got zero money, give it all away don't think he's saying that. He's saying no, have money, earn money use money use money serving God, don't love money be shrewd about it. How should we do that? What's the practical way of doing it? Well one piece of practicality that's in the Bible is giving money away in a proportionate way so one rule of thumb that's certainly there in the Old Testament and is worth bearing in mind in the New Testament is tithing have you heard of tithing? tithing is a way of saying a tenth and in the Old Testament uh, the people would give a tenth of their income to God and in New Testament times a lot of Christians do a similar thing not a bad idea it isn't actually commanded as such but proportionate giving that wouldn't be such a bad idea and the reason it's uh, that it's helpful is if you haven't got very much money you can still tithe you can say I haven't got very much but what I have got I'll set aside a tenth It's a tenth of your global income it's not a tenth of what you've got left over when you spent everything else it's not you know you've got five pounds spending money when you paid for everything else 50p it's a tenth of your global income uh, and so if you've got a small income you can tithe and if you've got a large income you can tithe and it's never a wrong time to start tithing because even if it's just a small amount you can s- start off doing it so there's a practicality that I think is well worth considering and if you've never considered it now it might be a good time to do so and here's another piece of advice somebody will be able to tell us who said this make all you can, make all the money you can save all you can so if you can get the same thing in uh, Aldi that you might have got in Waitrose cheaper, Uh, save money, save all you can and give all you can who said that? correct john wesley yes so it's good good advice so practicalities i'm going to stop there Uh, i hope that's been a little bit helpful at least anybody got any thoughts on then how we could serve uh, we can't serve god and money but how how we can put that into practice